Good morning. It is good to see each one of you. It's good to be together to worship God. If you're a guest of the congregation this morning, we welcome you again. It really encourages us that you're here. And speaking as a guest, I can say how hospitable the wonderful Dalreda congregation is and what an honor it is to be here. I appreciate Doug's uh, in, invitation and introduction. I appreciate the elders' invitation. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful blessing to be with each of you. As already mentioned, there, there's about probably 14 of us from Frieda Hardeman down today just trying to connect with you and make relationships. And so with that in mind, uh, we have what we call our Mobile Information Center, and it's parked out front. And if afterwards or even earlier as you come in for seminars or this evening, uh, it'll be opened up and available to you. And if you want to just pass by, we're inviting you to pass by just to visit with us so that we can get to know you better. Now, if it helps to encourage you to pass by, uh, we'll tell you three things you can get there in addition to a smile and a greeting and just the opportunity uh, to form a deeper relationship. You'll also be able to pick up uh, a glass bottle Coca-Cola. It'll be iced down. And uh, you'll also be able to pick up a, a mini moon pie if you'd like that. Uh, and you're going to think I'm kidding you. I'm not. Don't fall out, okay? Are you ready? Brush yourself. You can also get bacon on a stick. And uh, it's for real. You, you, you'll be glad you passed by. I guarantee you, you'll be glad you passed by. Uh, but really, we just want to come to you today uh, to, to interact with you and get to know you better. And if you have any questions, any kind of, of interest or concern that we could talk about with Fried Hardeman, uh, we want to do that. Uh, this is the time that we're going to preach. If you'll give me two minutes, I'd like to say just two minutes uh, about Fried Hardeman. I know we're in the shadow of a great Christian university, and I, I love Faulkner, uh, but I want to, for just a moment, tell you this. We seek to summarize who we are and where we're going in two words, Christian education. Uh, we're unapologetically and distinctively Christian. Uh, we have chapel every day. Every student will have a Bible class every day. All of our faculty are members of the Lord's church. Most of our staff is. All of our administration is. Uh, we want to speak the truth in love in every class that we're in every day. We want the environment on campus, even though we're far from being a perfect place, we want the environment on campus to be Christ-shaped. Uh, we want our faith to be the core and center of everything that we are. And we're thankful for that. We don't duck around that, and, and we are thankful for that. Uh, we want to stand with our Lord. Christian education. Uh, we are dedicated and on an upward trend, and we have no desire uh, for that trend to stop of being an excellent institution of higher learning. Uh, just a few years ago, only 66% of our faculty had their doctorate. Today, almost 80%, and it continues to climb. Uh, they teach in the discipline of which they received their doctorate. Uh, today, where the national average is, the pre-med student will get accepted in med school in about the 30% range. At Fried Hardeman, it's about 90%. Our acceptance into professional schools is at 90% or above in all of the schools. Uh, I know that some people think a small Christian college, you're giving up something academically if you do that versus some other school. I would just say to you, we can prove factually that's wrong. Uh, I'm not saying there's not other great schools. I'm just saying to you, you won't sacrifice anything in academics 
uh, by coming to a place that surpasses the national averages. And so we are committed to those two things. We are committed to Christian education. And if there's any interest that you have in supporting that and becoming a part of that, uh, we're here. If you simply want to be friends of that, we're here to form that relationship. We've simply shown up today to do that. Friends and Family Day. I love Friends and Family Day. The idea where we concentrate upon relationships and we are reminded anytime we come into a period of Bible study and of worship, we're reminded that where we go for the source of wisdom in all of our relationships should be from the Almighty God. The God who created us and created our relationships. And when we think about the design of family, the very design of family, its core is relationships and intergenerational relationships. God gave families children. But along with that gift of children came the design of parenting. God gave parents to children. Why did God make parents? Let me illustrate this very quickly. A few years ago, it's been several years ago now in the New Orleans Times, that a story was read from Slidell, an event that took place there of a day that would have been just like any other day. A woman and her 12-year-old daughter were walking out of the mall. And the daughter said something you could expect a 12-year-old daughter to say. Hey, Mom, can I drive home? And the mother did a very wise thing. She said, no, you're only 12 years old. You cannot drive home. Then she did a very childish thing. And she said, but I guess I will let you drive around the parking lot. And so her 12-year-old got into the driver's seat and backed the car out. The mother said, now listen, only in the parking lot. Well, the child, not really even understanding the traffic flow, immediately took a left and found herself entering the busiest street on that strip. And the mother went a little bit hysterical and said, no, 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 I didn't say the street, I said the parking lot. Well, this scared the little girl. And so she puts it up in reverse real quick and she slams the accelerator down and goes over a curb and crashing into several cars. Now, if you're an insurance agent, what are you thinking? Glad that wasn't my client. If you're a paramedic, what are you thinking? I wonder if anyone was injured. Thankfully not. But what are you thinking if you're a parent? It's pretty simple, isn't it? The wrong person was driving the car. There's a lot of families today that the wrong person is driving the car. And the thing is, it's not the fault of the children of the family at all. But there's far too many families where the children are the one calling the shots, setting the direction, setting the schedule. They're driving the family. We've just had capably read for us a beautiful text. I hope you, you have your, your Scriptures open. And if you do, you see there in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, One of the few verses, beginning with verse 1, 2, and 3, that God gives in all of the Holy Scriptures, where in a sense, He says, and this may be taking it just a tad bit too far, but let me say it this way and then back up, okay? It's almost as if He says, Hey children, 
I have a message just for you. Now we know that really this message is for anybody that opens the Word of God. But think about it. There's not many times in Scripture where God says, children, and then follows a commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now, according to God's model, why do children obey parents? Because their parents are so smart. Because their parents never make a mistake. Because their parents are just that good at what they do. No. Isn't it interesting that we could figure out real quickly that that wouldn't be a good reason to obey because it just wouldn't be the truth. So why did God say, children, obey your parents in the Lord? Why? For this is right. In other words, God says, I want to give you families a model. And it's real simple. There's going to be authority in the home, and there's going to be submission in the home. And children, I want to talk to you for just a moment about what your role is. Not so much about who your parents are, but what your role is. Your role in the home is to obey. Now, in the second verse, you see that it's also to honor. And it's the first commandment with a promise. Now, honor is the idea of of to hold up and to esteem. And even once the children leave home, they are never to stop honoring their father and their mother. And we see from other teachings in the gospel that that idea of honor would even carry itself over to being supportive financially and whatever needs that that one might have. And so this this honor is the idea of always holding up with with a great respect to the parents. But let's back up to verse 1. Obey. What is obedience? The word obey, you you might be surprised to hear. The word obey simply means to hear in its simplest form. But it really means, if we want to complete that definition, it is to hear with a heart or an attitude of subordinates. In other words, in the English word, which would be similar in in meaning to the Greek, of course, or it wouldn't be translated that, but but in the English word, it comes from the Latin word. And the audio of the Latin word that is in the word obey is the very same audio that is also in the word audience. Think about the, the very term audience. What does that mean? The audience is gathered to hear what is being presented. Who are children? Children are to be people in the family who are gathered to hear the ones in the family that have authority and to listen to them with a submissive heart and attitude. Now how does that work? What if a parent doesn't teach obedience? What do we start seeing? We see children that do not learn submissiveness. We see children that start believing they ought to always get their way. And we see children that oftentimes have a very difficult time, at least through certain phases of their life. Why? Where are children to learn obedience? 
They learn it first in their home. You have your Bibles, turn with me to two or three passages, and, and we need to do this part kind of quickly. But turn with me, if you will, over to 1 Peter. But I'll tell you what, for times like, let's go to Hebrews, the, the um, fifth chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We're, we're going to skip one or two there. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Now, just in case I made a leap there and I, and I wasn't clear in, in where we're going, let me transition to this one more time. When we think about our children learning obedience, how does that transition them in a successful way to other parts of life? In other words, could we as a parent make it more difficult for our children to be faithful Christians? I'm not saying that the parent could do something that would make it impossible for a child to be... I'm not trying to imply that or say that in any way. But can we make it more difficult? Sure. What if a parent constantly teaches their child that disobedience is acceptable? Now, how, how would you constantly do that? Well, let's go back when they're little and let's go back into the aisle of Toys R Us or, or Target or Walmart and, uh, and, and let's just imagine what that might look like in, in many scenarios. Uh, the, the, the child is playing with something. The child has it out there on the floor of the store and the parent says, hey, uh, put the toy up, we're about to go. And the parent starts walking off and looks back and sees that the child's still playing. And the parent says, honey, I said, put the toy up. We have to go. They start. Honey, put the toy up. Now, how many times have they already disobeyed? They've already disobeyed three times. Honey, put the toy up. I'm telling you, we're going right now. So we're up to like, what, four or five times now? Disobedience? Honey, you drive me mad doing it. Give me that toy. Now, come on. You're not going to get a toy next time. This, this is the only time we're doing this. This was the child thought. The child says, okay. I'm, now keep in mind, you can't blame the child in that scenario. Children are supposed to be trained. And every child is trained. And that child just got a powerful lesson. You know what the lesson was for that child? If you disobey four or five times and then start crying and throwing a fit, all of a sudden it doesn't matter what authority wants. All that matters is what I want. And I'll get my way. And so that child was literally trained to disobey. And so the child gets a little bit older. Mom and dad tell them what time to be in for curfew. The child's never home at that time. And the child's never held accountable at that time. Whose fault is it? It's the parent's fault. They have trained that child to disobey. That child somewhere in that time starts thinking about becoming a Christian. Now, what do you think obedience to God looks like to a child that has been trained, now big quotes here, that obedience is to regularly disobey? That's what they've been trained that obedience is. And that child reads Holy Scripture and says, I don't like to do that. I'm going to sit with my toy in the aisle and I'm going to tell God that I'm not doing it. And you know what? God will just have to accept it because that's the way authority works. Now, can that child overcome the damage that their parent has done? Yes. 
But the question is, how long will it take them and will they be persistent enough to push through to realize everything that I was trained about authority, I was mistrained. I was misled. Have you ever thought that one of the reasons why Christ was on the cross I know, I know if we ask that in a, in a general class session and we say, why was Christ on the cross? A correct answer would immediately be given because He loves us. Absolutely. But do you know another reason that Scripture teaches directly that He was on the cross? Jesus was on the cross because of obedience. Do you remember what He did the night before the cross? The night before the cross, He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and He begged His Father... I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. Now notice this last part. Not my will. I recognize you, Father, that you are the authority. So your will be done, not mine. The next day, Jesus Christ died on the cross because of obedience. Read with me, if you will, the way the Hebrew writer says it. We're going to pick up in the middle of a sentence, but I'd like for you to notice beginning in verse 7. Let's read about three verses together. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of the flesh, talking about Jesus, when He was on this earth in flesh, when He had offered up prayers, we're talking about most likely the prayer in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he says He offered up prayers and supplications. Now listen to this. With vehement cries and tears to Him, who was able to save him from death. He was able to do this and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, so we got authority here, he was the son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. To whom? To all who obey Him. Verse 8, what did Jesus do? He learned obedience. Verse 9, who can have Jesus' salvation? Only those who learn Jesus' obedience. Vehement cries and tears. If you and I would have been in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, and we would not have been inside of that, but we'd have been in, in the hearing range of that, we would have probably said, Shh, listen, is that a beast? Is somebody being attacked or killed over there? Who is it? What is it over there? Groaning. Praying. And some way through that groaning and the prayers are these words. Father! Tears. Laying flat on the ground. Let this cup pass from me. I'm your son. I'm your child. I'm here in the aisle. I don't want this. But if it's your will, I will stand up right now and I will obey. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, you died to save people. Who are you going to save? And He says, only those that have the same type of obedience that I offer. Those that are willing to sacrifice self-will to do God's will. One of the greatest challenges of parenting is to teach obedience. It ought to be the first non-negotiable 
that every parent practices from the time their child is a small toddler coming out of the baby stage. To learn what the word no means and to be consistent with it because it is important for our children to learn obedience. It's important for them to know who the authority is. It's important because not only does it have to do with a relationship with God, but you remember in Hebrews 13, in verse 7, we're close, just turn over a few pages there. It's also important for church relationships. This passage can be applied uh, by application to elders. Look Look at Hebrews 13 and 17. It may not be exactly who he's speaking about, but by application. Notice what he says in Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey those who rule over you, and notice this, how submission goes right along with it. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So even this young person that's growing up, and they have elders that look over them, what's their mindset toward the elders going to be? You ever seen individuals that their relationship in a church family, they'll say, well, no elder is going to tell me what to do. I can have a guess at what kind of parenting you might have had in your life. And I don't say that as an attack. I don't say that anything other than an observation. When children grow up and they are trained to appreciate authority in their life, And so when authority speaks, they listen with a submissive heart. They read the Bible differently. When they grow up that way and they have relationship with elders, they have a different relationship with the elder than someone that thinks obedience just means you do what you want to do. They have a different relationship with the teacher at school. They have a different relationship with their employer at their summer job. They have a different relationship when they go into the military, although the military has a way of breaking that for others. They have have a different relationship even with government. Hebrews, the 13th chapter. There is much to be said within those first few verses, but one of the powerful messages that God is giving is He's saying, listen, the authority that government has, God said, I'm the one that designed that. I'm the one that gave that. And he says, if you're my child, I expect you to submit to the authority over you. And he calls the authority in government three times in that passage, God's ministers. Parents are to be God's ministers to teach children obedience. Now, I've given you a principle without a lot of practicality and application because for time's sake, which I forgot to look at my watch. I don't know when I was... That's not a good answer. <laughs> but let me, let me just give you a, a quick... The reason I said it's hard is because for this to be interacted in a family where it's never been practiced before, it takes major change on both parts. It takes the parents sitting down and talking with each other and saying... Are we really going to expect our children to obey everything that we ask them to do? And most parents don't expect that. Most Christian parents don't expect that. So it's a big shift. 
It's a big shift to say we're on the same team and we're going to expect obedience. So then you have to call a family meeting. And probably it had to start something like this. Hey, kids, we've been reading God's Word more closely. And we realize there's some ways that we've let you down. For our love for God and our love for you, we're going to start implementing this practice that's real simple. When we tell you to do something, we expect you to obey it the first time. And we know that the first month to six weeks is going to be very difficult around our house. Because also, every time you disobey, it's our responsibility to hold you accountable. That's the task that God has given us. And so it's going to seem really hard at first because it's going to seem like the environment is kind of stressed, fractured. Keep in mind, you, you know what getting a child to obey what you're actually doing. You can see an example of this in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13 where God rebuked Eli because he did not what? Restrain his children. Restrain means to bend or to break will. The child is born with a fleshly desire to drive the car. They're not bad people. It's not bad that they desire that. They want to lead the family the way they want to lead the family to go. God gives the child parents to raise them in the right way. And it's the parent's task to bend or restrain the will of the child to conform to the way of righteousness. I did a parenting seminar a few years ago on a Friday night and a Saturday morning about parenting. We spent about five sessions and had a lot of practicality in the things that I'm mentioning to you this morning. And, and then um, several weeks went by, probably, probably two or three months went by. And I was at another church. And, and so, you know, I didn't know the people that well that I was with. And, and, uh, but several months went by and I was going to a wedding uh, at another location to perform the wedding. And so as I was walking into the venue, I noticed this this mother and this little child walking in. And so I just reached around, I grabbed the door and the mother swung around and saw me. And honestly, at first I didn't recognize her. And she, she looked at me and she said, oh, hey. And she turned to her little girl and, and she called her by name and she said, I want you to meet Mr. Shannon. This is the guy that made your life so miserable the last two months. And then she laughed, I laughed, and then she said, no, it's really already gotten better. She said, I can't tell you how different our house is today. But yes, the first month was crazy. But now it's amazing to be able to say to young children something the first time, and they obey. We're always training our children. We're training them to obey or we're training them to disobey. But the problem is, godly parents don't really have a choice. It's the responsibility of godly parents to train our children to obey. So now let's flip this over. You've gotten a lot of, of kind of principles out there. And now I'd like to summarize by just saying some of the things we've already said 
in five ways. And I would like to do that by taking you back to Ephesians and read that one verse that he says here uh, to the fathers. He says, and you fathers, I'm in Ephesians 6 and I'm in verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Notice the responsibility of fathers and by application and implication, even mothers. We don't need to provoke our children to anger. You want to make children angry? Expect them to obey something that you've never instructed them about. Let your boss come in tomorrow and correct you on something that you've never been instructed about and see how it makes you feel. I can tell you how it's going to make you feel. You're going to be angry. It's going to be that, I, you never asked me to do that. I was never told. I didn't know that was policy. I was never trained on that. So why did God give children parents? Number one, because they need authority in their life. Don't ever sacrifice that authority, and I would urge you to not apologize for that authority. I know that authority in American culture, 21st century, gets a bad rap. And one reason I know that is because you regularly hear parents apologize for being the authority. You don't have to apologize for being the one that tells your children what to do. You're the authority. You don't have to beg to tell your children what to do. You're the authority. You would be very foolish to, to think that the authority is, well, if I just yell loud enough, if I just say it over and over. No. You're the authority. You can say it once, very calmly, and it should be done. You are the authority. God has given you that place. That's where you are to fulfill the role in the family. Second, God gave you the authority to give instruction. Children cannot obey. Was obey mean? To hear? They cannot obey what they have not heard. They're children. You can't pull the old card. Well, they should know better. They don't. They're children. Do you realize this weekend, there are probably several teenagers in this town that went out and partied. Very immoral. This week, there's probably been several teenagers that they've lied. They've lifted things out of the store. School's about to start up. There'll be several that will cheat on a regular basis. They'll curse. They'll be disrespectful to their teacher right in front of their face. And do you realize how many of those children I've just talked about will not have once disobeyed their parents? There are so many children today that have not received the instruction from their parents. God gave children parents to instruct them, to constantly teach them what they are to be and what they are to become. Third, God gave parents to children to hold them accountable. It really is our place to not teach them to disobey, but to obey, which means they're held accountable the first time. God was the parent in the Garden of Eden. The first children of God on this earth were Adam and Eve. He came down and He told 
Adam in the second chapter, he wanted him to keep and take care of the garden. He gave him responsibility. He told him positive commandment. I want you to also eat of any of the fruit of these trees that you want. He told him a negative commandment, except I don't want you to eat of the tree. Has it ever dawned on you where that tree was? In the middle of the garden. And then he even instructed him, if he did, what the outcome would be. Here's the consequence. I'm holding you accountable. If you do it, you will surely die. You know what chapter 3 says. Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit of that tree that was in the middle of the garden. God passed through the garden, and you remember what He said. He said, now Adam and Eve, I told you all not to do that, and I am so disappointed. Don't do that again. See you tomorrow. What does godly authority do? Godly authority holds accountable. Your children need to be held accountable. God gave them parents to hold them accountable. The the fourth reason that God gave your children parents was for them to be disciplined. To be held accountable, there has to be discipline. But the word discipline in its fullness doesn't just mean punishment. The idea of discipline is to narrow down and to put in your life the things that are good. In other words, right now, I could probably say to you, how many of you got up and went running this morning? And there would probably be a few hands that went up this morning, and you know what the rest of us would say? Huh, they're disciplined. What do we mean by that? They know how to bring the things into their life that needs to be in life. And they know how to keep the things out of life that should be kept out of life. What's the responsibility of a parent who is a trainer? Train up your child in the ways they should go. A parent that is a disciplinarian. Our task is to narrow. Narrow the path. Son, daughter, there are so many things out there that we just don't need to be a part of. I'm going to give you instruction and I'm going to hold you accountable. Son, daughter, there are so many things right here in this path we need to be doing. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you what they are. And when you're not doing them, I'm going to hold you accountable. And the holding accountable is not always a spanking, always time out. Sometimes the holding accountable may be, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? I want you to see the value of what you're missing. I want you to see why I love reading the Holy Scriptures. Have you not been reading every day? I want you to see how beautiful Scripture is so that you can read it. Hey, you know when we were at grandmother's, I just want you to know, I saw you roll your eyes at her. And I want you to know, that's not going to happen again. Period. And here's your punishment for this time. And I'll go ahead and tell you what your punishment is next time. We may have a funeral. No, just kidding. But the idea, the idea where a parent would kind of wash their hands and say, Oh, they'll catch on along the way. If your child has to go to their first summer job to learn how to work, you failed. It's your job to teach your children how to work. If your child has to come to church to learn how to worship, you failed. It's your job to teach your child how to worship. If the only place that your child gets biblical knowledge, you're messing up somewhere, they should get that from you. You're the one that should be helping them along the way. And you know what? It won't be long before they'll be helping you on that same way. It's a beautiful relationship. But God gave your children 
exactly what they need if we as parents will be exactly what God called us to be. And the fifth thing that God gave parents to your children is so that they can see all of this modeled. In other words, everything that you should expect your child in respecting authority and obeying, listening to instruction, and being held accountable, and discipline. You know who they ought to see modeling that? They ought to see the parent modeling that in their relationship with God. They ought to see a parent who oftentimes does not do their will, but does the will of the Father. Reads the instruction of the Father often. Takes the correction of the Father from His Word. And allows the Father to discipline Him. To bring Him where He should be. There's not a parent here that's done this perfectly. I think if we were really being honest with ourselves, a lot of us that have already raised our children, we could say, if I could go back, there are things I would do differently. But I ask you as parents that are raising your children right now to not use that as an excuse to wash your hands, but to realize you only get to raise them once. And that time will pass very quickly. And you will either look back with great regret or you will look back with great thanksgiving that God was gracious to you and gave you the opportunity to practice His wisdom in raising your child. The greatest opportunity that's ever been offered to us is that God will adopt us into His family. And He knows our flaws. And He knows that on our own we'll never be good enough. He knows even after we start following Him, we'll be weak. He knows us better than we know ourselves. You can't tell God anything about yourself that He doesn't already know. And He still loves you. He still sent His Son to die for you. And He, he still wants to spend an eternity with you. We're about to sing a song of encouragement in just a moment. And if you are not a child of God, you are missing out on the big relationship that not only does it matter more than any other relationship, but it helps shape every other relationship. You want to be the best parent you can be? First, be a child of God. You want to be the best child to your parents you can be? First, be a child of God. You want to be the best neighbor, the best grandparent, the best grandchild. You want to be what God wants you to be. First be to God what He wants you to be. If we can help you in any way this morning with your walk with or toward God, please come as we're about to stand and sing.